You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Sovereign Self is about individual empowerment and freedom. In exploring this sovereign self, our discussions will encompass self-love, oneness, and diverse spiritual understandings as life is a journey of expansion which never ends. Join author Martin Neil Campbell, trainer and business facilitator Karen Murphy, and spiritual archaeologist Ron Mayer as their discussions help lead their listeners into an ever-expanding journey of peace, love, joy, and freedom to become who you desire and be your sovereign self. Welcome to Sovereign Self. I am your host, Martin Neil Campbell, and your two fabulous, miraculous, and absolutely scintillating conversationalists are Karen Murphy and Ron Mayer. Welcome, guys. Say hello to everyone. Hello, everybody. Hi, folks. Welcome. So, on this program of Sovereign Self, we're actually going to speak about sovereignty, self-sovereignty, and how we as individuals are indeed the power. Power over ourselves, of course, not others. It's not a matter of our traditional way of looking at power of being powerful over other people. Sovereign self means you are powerful over yourself and who you are. But it's interesting, people have a lot of blockages around power. They have a fear of power. They have a fear of power at many levels. They have a fear of power of authority. And even in families, we have a typical hierarchical family arrangement where someone is usually taking charge on an area. And we don't even go to shared authority too much. But being a sovereign self would mean everyone in that family, the mother and father, however it's arranged, would share their authority. They'd recognize they are their own sovereign selves, and they'd respect that. Interestingly enough, though, a lot of our authority and fear of power is driven by our fear of lack. If we do not behave this way, then we're charged or will be ostracized, will be fired, will be this, will be that, and we'll have lack in our lives. So a lot of our fears are driven by a fear of ending up in a position of lack. But it's interesting that when you look at lack and the resources that are available in the world, we certainly, to date, and we can see it clearly between country to country, person to person, we don't share our resources. There is no give and take very much in the system at the moment. As people keep saying, the 1% just about own everything and where they are concentrated has all the power, the authority, and takes over the resources. And you also note that usually in areas where there is that type of power, there is very little conservation of resources either. So they usually squander them, waste them, and move on in that fashion. When you're talking about being your sovereign self, One of the things we have to move away from if you want to be, if we want everyone to be their sovereign selves, is number one, that fear of power, which is driven by, and then you get to the heart of the matter, our perceived lack in our lives or potential threat of lack. It's interesting, someone said, you know, that we concentrate wealth and thereby we deliberately distribute poverty. And it's our decisions that make that true. The only reason there are people starving in the world is because no one has bothered to stop it. And we have the resources and we have the ability to to stop it, just as an example. 
And we can do that so much better if we become our sovereign selves, because each of us are indeed the power. So with that, does anyone want to go first or? I like where you originally went with regards to the whole money aspect of power, because mm. today most people associate power with money. The more yes. money you have, the more you are perceived as being powerful. And yet, when we're talking in our program about the sovereign self and gaining back your power, that doesn't necessarily equate with money. It simply means that you are taking back your decision, your, your ability to make your own decisions in life rather than giving that ability or that, op, that um, responsibility to somebody else or an, an external source. There are two views to power then, one that is directly connected to money, and Martin, you're right, there, you know, with regards to how much money there is in the world, most of it is nested right at the top with the ones that we would consider the most powerful in the world, with very, very little at the bottom. That would tend to make people believe in a lack of their own power because yes. they are equating their power with the amount of money that they have to go about and do whatever they please. Yes. And it's, it's, it's interesting, and I know we've said it before, someone looking on the six cars they own, the five houses, this, this corporation, that corporation, or whatever, doesn't actually make them a better person, and it doesn't actually no. make them no. um, more powerful in the end. Because faced one-to-one, -one, there's a lot of people who could, not that I provoke violence, but a lot of people could take them out. So what does all their power and wealth and whatnot do for them? Mm -hmm. In the end, it is, it's an illusion of making people powerful. And I think through their our everyone's, in, in essence, we've all been taught that having that type of materiality and power and control puts you in, in charge. <clears throat> but more importantly, it builds your self-esteem. So we're told it doesn't. It builds people in other people's minds to be, oh, look at the money they have. Look at what they're driving. Look at that. They're more important than I am. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you took away all the people underneath those people that worked for them, did things for them, they would have nothing. Mm -hmm. So are they indeed more powerful than us? Not at all. So, so you're saying that it, so it's an illusion. It's this, an illusion. Whole, this whole concept of building power, directly associating it with the amount of money that you have, is a complete fabrication. It's complete illusion. It is. You know, it's interesting because I, I'm listening to both of you and I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying and I, I agree to a certain extent. I think from my perspective, as I reflect back, I'm not sure that I ever feel that I've lost my power as a result of somebody else's wealth or feeling inferior to them because they are more wealthy than me. I actually look at it for, for myself. It's more of a, more on a personal level. It's more heartfelt. I, I want to use the word emotional level, but I'm not sure if that's the right term, but mm -hmm. I feel an inferiority. So, but inferiority, well, that's the same thing. Well, but not inferiority from, from wealth. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking more, um, when I give 
my power away, when I feel like my power, actually I'm going to say it this way, when I feel like my power is being taken away, Mm -hmm. I realize that no one can take anything from me. So I reflect and say, I realize when I'm giving my power away, it's because I feel inferior, not specifically to money, but more lack of who I am and who I want to be. So I've started reflecting quite a bit on this over, over the last several weeks, actually, and thinking about what my triggers are. When do I feel that instance where my mind goes to, they're taking my power away, two mm-hmm. seconds later saying, I'm giving it away. Mm. Two seconds after that, why am I giving it away? And the only thing I come up with is I feel less than who I want to be. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you're right on the mark there. And that's what I was trying to get to with regards to the term power. There's two sides to that same coin. There is personal monetary power that, that is prevalent in the world today. But where you're coming from, Karen, is more along the lines of spiritual power. Yes. And yeah. that, Maybe that's it, yeah. That to me is is the more appropriate way to look at power when you're involved in developing the sovereign self. Right. Yeah. So, you know what I, so go ahead, Martin. Oh, I was just gonna say you jumped the gun there beautifully because you went to what having true power is. Yes. And what we just said was the illusion that ninety five percent of the people have or whatever right. so what how, what they believe power is well and even with regards to spiritual power mm. most people still believe in a religion that places god at the top and you at the bottom where you have to suffer and prove your worth to an almighty god who judges mm. so even that spiritual aspect of our power on this planet still right. has a tremendous amount to change Oh yeah, it, it's it's horribly corrupted. Yes, Karen, you're way ahead as far as I can tell <laughs> with regard to the concept of embracing true spiritual power when you're looking at a, your emotional triggers, and how it's making you feel, where you believe it's leading you, apart from external sources. Great, right. tell my spirit that because it's struggling. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it usually does. <laughs> It's, it's interesting because I found myself in a situation the other day that I'd like to share. Sure. And it was a situation where I was speaking with a vendor and probably programmed to think so. But when a vendor contacts you, I expected that the vendor would try to tell me what they could do for me. Right. And I found myself at the end of a call that I was completely unprepared for because all of a sudden this vendor was firing questions at me. And I felt like I was under that big bright light and being interrogated. Mm -hmm. And I felt my blood pressure going. Mm -hmm. And I felt myself moving to a space of anger, really judgment all over the place. How how egotistical of you, what what right have you got? And I immediately found myself saying, whoa, what are your triggers? Why are you feeling this? And the only thing I could put it on from my soul center was, they're firing a whole bunch of questions at me. I don't have the answers. Should I have the answers? Mm. I feel inferior. I feel like I'm lacking in something. And yet my mind was almost saying, I pre-programmed how this conversation was supposed to go. And I, I don't know if I did <clears throat> as I would have liked to, but I actually moved back and immediately thought, and thank you, Martin and Ron, for your ever so loving counseling. I immediately found myself saying, what would love do? in this situation and I struggled with it. It was almost like I was having a conversation with my spirit while this vendor was speaking to me on the phone. 
I'm not sure where I left the conversation and when I rejoined the conversation. It caused me to really give some thought to why am I feeling so defensive? And by the way, there are some things I want to know about you and your organization so I can actually move forward with what I need to do. And I kind of let go of the anger slowly (laughs) and moved into, okay, forget about what you thought this conversation was going to be about and move towards what it is you want it to be about and Mm -hmm. see if you can't come to an end without feeling like you have to go on the attack. I mean, I was almost ready to say, who do you think you are? (laughs) But I did it internally. And I must admit, this is where I struggle. I probably spent about four hours last evening reliving the conversation. Mm. And at the end, I actually came to a point of, I'm really proud perhaps not in the way I handled it explicitly, but that I acknowledged it. I think you were way on top of that situation, far more so than most other people would have been. And you're right with regards to, it's the most difficult thing to do when someone is attacking you to recognize that they are attacking you and that they are crying for help. Right. And instead you end up personalizing it because we all have our lower thought patterns that are mm-hmm. still in existence, and it can trigger these things into your reacting. But when you immediately said, no, what would love do now? That is an amazing opening door in the midst of an incident like this. Most people would, would not even have that door open. So to, for you to have the door open is a huge big step in the right direction for you, I think. And thank you very much, Ron. I think where I struggle and wanted to move is I didn't want to, and this is probably looking for for my own greater learning of my self-sovereignty, is I wanted to get to a point that I didn't feel that it have to reflect, that it just came naturally. And Uh I think that's where I struggled. It didn't come naturally. Uh I struggled with it. Um, I knew it was there, and I was like, get out of there. (laughs) Don't be Also, whenever you do react to something, you emotionally attack back is the moment you relinquish your power. Exactly. Yeah. It's very interesting because when did that, well, it doesn't matter when it happened because I had a similar instance here. Hmm. Now, mine was a bit different, but in your instance, people phone in and they're that aggressive trying to push you or sell you on something. They will try and use intimidation and throw out a thousand questions that you couldn't possibly answer to make you feel inferior and then kowtow to their help me yeah to well to their uh, methods but in many ways i agree with coming from your center of love and i also agree with speaking your truth in the sense that it's very much akin to propaganda yes it's throwing things at you that you have to think about and say well no that's not really true but he he was using it or she was using whatever a different method and it's the intimidation method, I call it, where they mm-hmm. they try and always appear that they're in control, they're in command. And if you don't, don't do what they do or want you to do, and you can't answer all their questions, then obviously you should be listening to them because you're stupid. It is that type of methodology that, yes, when you come from your heart, you have to sit there and recognize that, no, I'm not stupid. Number two... If I was going to move forward with this, which is what you did, what would what would I do? Right. And that's the only way you can go there. In my instance, someone phoned in, and, and they were offering me a huge amount of business, like dozens and dozens of millions of dollars. 
but they were very arrogant. Well, you know, if you don't take it, you're stupid, more or less. They didn't say it in those words, but they said, well, if you don't take it, it's a very bad business decision and this, that, and everything else. Um, but they didn't know what situation we were in and didn't know anything about it. And when I said, I mentioned, well, I had a similar program and I had other clients. Ah, well, we can take care of them. We'll just, we'll just take their business. What does it matter? And then just come with us. And it kept going on and on like that. And I'm going, really? You have no consideration for your clients? Because obviously not, because you have no consideration for my position and my clients. And in the end, I wrote, because people wanted to know it got passed down through the hierarchy. People wanted to know what my thoughts on it were. And I said, I don't want to deal with them. I said, because they have this attitude, they come from this direction and they're not going to bend. And I said, you know, we have other clients that are probably more important to us. And why would I cancel their business and piss them off just because they want us to take theirs? And I sort of went at it from that angle and said, no, I, it's not me. It's not where love would come from within me to behave that way towards my existing clients. Well, I think the other thing that comes up, Martin, is something that we've always talked about, the three of us on our program, and that is that often what God presents to us hmm. or what shows up for us that God presents is something that we have not yet healed, something that we've either looking at in that mirror reflection of this is not whom I want to become, mm-hmm. This is not a place that I want to be in. I guess part of me actually gives thanks. As, as from, a, from a gratitude perspective, I appreciate that that conversation or many of those conversations that we're talking about present themselves because it is part of that journey of reflection and understanding those areas that have not yet been dealt with. Yeah, All of those things are an indication of a, a learning ability that still needs to happen. Yeah. And for me at work, a lot of times, we all, we'll get a lot of complaints as well. And I usually find that people who call in with the aim of a good complaint and they have a, they have a fight in mind, mm. usually, I mean, that the, the satisfaction of, for instance, the satisfaction you gain from a worthy opponent is far greater than an opponent, opponent that is quite lame and just lays down. You don't yeah. get any satisfaction from that. Mm. So a lot of times when somebody calls to complain with our corporation here at where I work, my first response is as soon as I can indicate, as soon as I hear there's stress or there's, there's an emotional stuff there that's coming at me, I usually say, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. The moment I say that, their entire demeanor changes. Yeah. Or if they're adamant that they want to fight, they're completely confused. Right, yeah. exactly. They're not prepared for that statement. No. But at that point, it's easier to come to a term. Then they start to reveal the truth behind what it is that they're they're talking about. And it's much easier to come to conclusion and a resolution when you don't fight them yourself. Yeah. And that's so true because I had a job. It was a job I actually enjoyed. No one else wanted it. And it was the complaint desk. <laughs> people would get on it and people would phone in and they'd be swearing at them and this and that and everything else. And people said, I'm not putting up with that. So I just hang up and I'm going, I'm going, no, don't do that. They're angry. They're angry for a reason. Try and listen to what the reason is. And quite often they'd get to the end and I'd ask a couple of questions, figure out what their problem was. And more often than not, I'd say, yeah, you're right. We really muck that up. Let's see what we can do to correct. 
Right. Because I would say 80% of the time they were right. <laughs> yes. And it's like, help but them. As soon as you acknowledge that you're there to help them, yeah. you're not giving away your power. Nope. You're in. You're implementing your power. Exactly. You're the one that still has the answers. You're the one that will assist them in finding the right course of action. Yeah. So you're not giving your power away. You're strengthening your power by oh, saying, how can I help? The interesting thing there is we're doing it from a, a corporate world point of view from a single person listening to customers. Mm-hmm. But that applies at every stage in life. Oh, yeah. Everything. If you're, you're a leader of government, if you're a leader of a corporation, if you're a leader of a religion, it doesn't matter. What your statement should be is, how can we help? You're right. Right. <laughs> and if you can separate yourself from what you do, mm. whether that be your work role, whether that be your family role, whether you're the mother, the father, the sister, the brother, the grandparent, when you separate a lot of what you do to who you are, mm-hmm. I find that helps me to get some clarity as opposed to thinking in terms of I have a role as an employee, I have a role as a uh, a mother, so, you know, and, and various other roles that we take, a friend. Mm-hmm. So when you remove yourself from what you do in a particular relationship. Your masks. Right. Yeah, when you take that away and go back to who you are being, mm-hmm. it actually, for, for me anyways, well, it's really muddy and really murky 99.9% of the time, it does give me some sense of clarity. Yes. Yeah. No, exactly. Well, again, moving back to where going to what the program is talking about, how, how to become your sovereign self. Right. And as you said, Ron, it gives you the power. As you said, Karen, get rid of those masks and get out of this position of, oh, I'm the head of this household, or I'm the head of this, and right. I'm the, you're going to do as I say. Yeah, no. <laughs> and there, there is nothing more powerful than the ultimate truth coming from your authentic self. Yes. Your center of love. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that can withstand that power. No. And it's interesting, you know, as I said at the beginning of the introduction, we are the power. Yes. And the power is over ourselves, not others. But we've been taught so much through our entire lives, all of our class distinctions, all our hierarchical mechanisms. It's all about false power. Mm-hmm. It's all about lack, because you, the more you get into a higher position in whatever, family, corporate, uh, government, you believe you have the power to do what you wish. And I find that people get so power drunk, if that's the right phrase, <laughs> they lose any reasonability as to what should be done for the benefit of their company, their family, the, their country. And they begin looking at what they want for their own self-aggrandizement or to help their friends only or this group only. And, of course, we know that all leads to more strife, more riots, more wars, everything else. And it's all because we do not take that stance. And it applies right through from whether you're helping a customer online or you're in government and you're trying to figure out how you help everybody. Mm-hmm. We lose that vision quite often. And, and it's the only way to go. Well, it makes me think, Martin, about some of the things we've been programmed to. And at Ron, I think we were chatting earlier, you were talking about this a little bit, but it just brought to mind how much programming we have about, you know, you think about class pictures, mm-hmm. let's all file in and I want all the short people in the front <laughs> and all the tall people in the back. 
and I want all the women on the right and all the men on the left. So it doesn't matter whether to your to what we're talking about. It's like we have hierarchies within relationships, but we also have stigma to everything that we do. Mm-hmm. So I, I just my mind immediately flashed to pictures. Why do we think that pictures need to be put together so that we have that? All the tall people over here. Let's mix up. Oh, you've got, you know, we got two blondes. Let's put a brunette in the middle. And so we're classifying people instead of seeing people for just that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're re-understanding what all of these blind adherence to old traditions, what is the value there? Mm-hmm. Where is the value fulfillment? And a lot of times now, as we begin to more closely scrutinize some of these ridiculous notions, it's like, I can't believe that I believed in that for so long mm-hmm. without ever questioning it. Eating meat on certain days or, you know, there, there are tons. We have, our society is just riddled with all of these ridiculous ideas that we empower mm-hmm. day after day after day. Wow, because someone in authority told us we should. Exactly. And that's exactly why the sovereign self, we are the power individually, mm-hmm. power over ourselves. So whenever you hear a rule, like that and, and it always reminds me in school like there was a book that came out about how to behave as a man men don't do this or men don't do that mm-hmm. and i was in the cafeteria at school and i ordered at lunch quiche and someone came by and said oh well you haven't read that book real men don't eat quiche <laughs> and i think that was the book and i looked at that and i said Beg your pardon? I said, well, you know, real men don't eat quiche, so you're not a real man. And I looked at them and I said, and I'll be rude here, but I said it. Real men eat whatever the hell they want. (laughs) (laughs) And and they they sort of got stunned by that. But they were being taken in by this stupid book that said real men don't eat quiche. He was only being taken in by the title. If he'd read the book, he would have realized that that title was pointing, pointing a finger at a fallacy. Yeah, I never read the book, but I just knew it was used against me, and I went, you know, yes, really? it, it, That's clear that he hasn't read the book either. Yeah, it was, it was, it would be more about how untruthful it is. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that, okay. yeah, real men absolutely do eat quiche. It's like real men do cry. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But and how many fact, times are we told, you're in that position, you can't do that. Oh, I don't. Fuck up. Don't. Be in authority. Don't cry. Don't do this. Don't always appear confident, no matter the situation. That entire, that entire idiom about men don't cry has mm. been one of the worst things that men have embraced. Oh, yeah. It has made us completely rigid and unyielding and unbending. Yes, so you we, two rigid we people. Break. <laughs> we would break before we would bend and yield. Yeah. yeah. Well, it gets rid of it gets rid of any empathy. Mm-hmm. It destroys empathy altogether. So you're, you're, which, in the business which means you're going to be cold and callous. And oh. in the business world, that is exactly what was generally required the higher you went in business was was generally seen as how how cutthroat can you be right this and this whole thing with regards to power as i said there's there's the two sides to the power that we're talking about today there is the power the corporate power which most people believe is the real power and then there is the true authentic spiritual power where you have power over yourself rather than power over others which the corporate reality has a tendency to espouse yeah. You know the way we always talk about the 1% or the 3% or whatever at the top? Mm-hmm. Let's flip that. Talk about being your sovereign self and the 
1%, 3% the top, and then worked out that it's trying to get it to expand out. Move it from always talking about the 1% who have the, the money and the wealth to talk about the 1% on the good side. Exactly. In, in the positive way, like I don't mean good in the, against good or evil, but just a better way for humanity. Well, when you think about it, all of what we're talking about, every one of our listeners also feels the same emotions, feels the same thought process in a in a very similar way. Yeah. And I think to me when I when I think about that and we talk about self sovereignty, I think about how often our intuition comes up and we dismiss it perhaps because of all of these rules and learned behaviors. And I would say to our listeners, when your intuition and we all have it, when your gut tells you, your spirit tells you something doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. pay attention because mm-hmm. you are your own power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I want to throw this this out to everybody. We have been talking over the last you know couple of months about this financial reset that is eminent where the U.S. dollar will collapse and these massive prosperity programs that are set in order to deliver immense amount of wealth to each and every individual on the planet. Right. Now, when, you'll th- when you're thinking about that, if most people think that money and then the amount of money that you have equates to how much power you have, the moment that this money is distributed to everybody, what will that do? That would empower everybody to be able to do what it is that they please in their life. And that- I love it because it's using your illusions for you. It's exactly. exactly. <laughs> now, the, the dangerous part about this, and this is where that idiom that comes in, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. This type of power is what I'm speaking about with regards to corporate power and power over others, the, uh, the service to self type of power. If your power is based on service to self, yes, the more power you have, you will ultimately be more corrupted. Hmm. So the, the, the concept at this point, to try to get people to shift from one paradigm over to the the new paradigm, which is a massive change in belief systems, mm-hmm. the I love the idea of empowering people with this massive amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were, there's going to be a lot of people who may not be able to handle that degree of, quote, power, unquote, but what it will do, it will begin to change people's beliefs about their disempowerment. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm very fortunate in that I get to work for an organization that actually does that, where there is a sharing of monies. There mm-hmm. is a programs and, and services in place that actually give back. So you take the cumulative of the whole, but you give back while you're doing so. So I think it's at a, at a very, you know, communal level. It's starting, Ron. It's starting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is there. It is there. Again, there are, again, there's rumbles about giving everybody in the world the basic basic income. Absolutely. That come back again uh, just mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. I read another article where that's continuing to be discussed in the hierarchy or the higher ups on the side of the light where they're wanting, they're recognizing we can't go any further with our disastrous and destructive patterns because the earth is not going to be able to with the species on we're not going to be able to survive on this planet if we continue down that road right. so they're recognizing you know the destruction that we have with the old paradigm that has to completely change exactly yeah. and we talked earlier about i think I, I can't remember ron or martin if it was one or the other that 
talked about the sharing of resources. Yes. Why yes. are we hoarding them? Yes, absolutely. Share and this them. Is, yes, and one of our principles was in conservation, meaning that you don't take more than what you need. If you're pruning a plant, for instance, because you're harvesting blueberries or you're you're harvesting sage for you know spiritual purposes or whatever, that you only take a certain portion of the plant. You don't rob the entire plant of all of its with the possibility that you're going to kill the plant. So there's the concept of conservation, taking only what it is that you need. Currently, we have such fear of this belief in lack Mm. that a lot of people are going overboard where they have to store, they got to steal, they got to store, they got to make sure that they got more than their share in order to ensure that they're going to survive during the the tough times. Well, sure. I mean, we think about, I know when I look to my parents, my grandparents, and in particular, it makes me chuckle. My mom used to have a, like a little mini fruit cellar and we had canned goods by the gazillions. Mm -hmm. What was that for? Because they lived during an era of depression Mm -hmm. where there was that fear of lack. At the end of the day, my mother never died of starvation no. <laughs> you know so it becomes that it, it makes me it's, it's a bit of a chuckle but i remember a dear aunt of mine that i was so so <laughs> close to i remember being in the mall one day and i saw a sign that said oh 10 percent off for seniors mm-hmm. and i was talking to her and i looked away and looked back and she was gone and there she was in this lineup mm-hmm. of getting your 10 percent off mm-hmm. for a coffee mm-hmm. We're talking, what, eight cents at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she felt like, if I don't get it, what will happen to me? It was oh, that fear of lack. And, there is, and that is so prevalent still in the world today. Mm-hmm. That, and, w- and the fact that we don't share. We, yeah. we have no desire to share. Just recently in Venezuela, there, there, with the food riots that they have, people in Venezuela today are actually scouring the streets in order to see if they can find cats and dogs in order to eat. That people are in lineups at grocery stores that don't even open. There was one a story of a woman who was in the lineup at early in the morning, and by four o'clock they came out and they says, "We're not opening the store today," and she had to go back with no food. Mm-hmm. And yet there is so much food in this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was listening to something the other day. It was actually at work. I was listening to a video, and they were talking about Martin. To your point about that one percent and how they accumulate all of this money and riches. And it gave me a new perspective of looking on things, which I'm still digesting, but it talked a little bit about those people, and I don't mean those people as in a bad way, but people who acquire riches and acquire wealth and the the extra cars, the pool, and all of that kind of stuff. Do we actually give thought to what that does to our next generation as far as expectation of standard of living? So my point being, if I'm rich or I come into a lot of money mm-hmm. and I get this great big mansion and a pool and all the, all the wonders, what does it do to my five children or six children who then look for their mate in life? Mm-hmm. Are they looking for a mate in life that can only provide them with those riches and live with what they've become accustomed to? So there's a lot to be said about that whole sharing and conservation and what does that do to your standard of living? Like, do we, do we really need to live high on the hog or do we really need to all live comfortably and with love and grace? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was an article I read before we came on in uh, the Waking Times that said, 
Here's the bottom line. Until we can resolve the problem of resource shortages, we cannot move forward as a species. If we can learn how to solve such problems, we will become healthy and we might survive as a species. If we cannot solve such problems, then we will have neither health nor survival and we will perish. Mm -hmm. And there's truth in that yeah. because and it goes back to what Ron always loves to bring up in a lot of programs that it's so true. There are no victims. Mm -hmm. So when people are put down elsewhere in the world or starving or struggling and they look at us living in our lap of luxury and doing everything we can to keep hoarding more, do we really expect them to love us? Do we even go to the spot with any empathy at all that we have so much and they're starving and their children are starving in front of them and we won't give at all virtually to help them? That means in their minds that we could care less about their lives. So if we care less about their lives and what they're going through, then minds typically go to, so why should we care about you? Mm -hmm. And we'll grab what we can. And the whole cycle of, of that type of violence and getting what you can continues because people hoard. Well, and you know, Martin, that's a good point because I was watching a show the other day. There was a hoarder. And I, I don't really like that term, but it, it is a term that we now use. And it is out there, but this gentleman was, was very hurt, very ill. And it took forever for him to call 911. And when the paramedics finally arrived and they asked, why didn't you call sooner? I didn't want people to know how I live. And yet he took a decision to live that way. Yeah. So what drove him to that? Yeah. What, what emotional state, and that's where I think the principles of self-sovereignty come into play so critically about having respect and having, having love for yourself and, and not being stuck in these paradigms and these rules and regulations and getting caught up. I mean, we, we look at all kinds of mental illnesses that are very, very real. And we created them. They're real. Mm -hmm. They're all real and they're all based on the illusions that we decide yeah. to make. Exactly. Now, there's something that you said earlier, Ron, about you know absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. A little exercise I have been doing for many years. I always, every once in a while, stop and think of a situation and go, if I had absolute power, what would I do? When my mind, and it does, goes to doing something that would force someone to do something, I go, hmm, why am I still thinking that? Mm -hmm. And it makes me re-examine where I'm coming from. But I put that out as a wonderful little exercise for anyone to do. If you had absolute power and could do anything and force people to do anything and rearrange things how you wish, what would you do? And then how much of that is against the will of other people? Well, there, again, as I said, you're, there's the two issues of power. There's spiritual power, and then there is the opposite, yeah. which is power over others. If you were to get, if you were, for me, if, that, if, if I was to be given the absolute power, mm. I would say, well, that would be great. I would have absolute power over myself and would ultimately grant that same power for everybody else to do with as they wish. That's the right answer, but... Quite often, when we're thinking of oh, no, I know. problems in the world, yes, yes, exactly. we say, "Oh, well, I'd get rid of that immediately." How do we put it into practicality, right? I mean, yeah. what flew through my mind is I would wish upon everyone to live a, a life of grace and love, which sounds really Pollyanna. But mm -hmm. the the question is, how does one do that tactically? Yeah. And power over others, 
it implies the fact that some will gain and some won't. Yes, exactly. That's why I use it, because then I have to recognize where, in my mind, my thoughts, my emotions are dragging me into a spot of not being from the center of love. Not being one with everyone. <laughs> well, you know, I love I love this program because we actually give ourselves the permission to be really vulnerable. We're yeah. talking about some really personal stuff here mm-hmm. oh, that yeah. is, is really key. So for our listeners out there, we get it mm-hmm. just like you do. It's we all say it's it's supposed to be simple. And yet when we live tactically in this universe we know in principle how great it sounds, but in practicality, that's where our learning is. That's where our journey is. That's where our growth is. Yeah. And the prime example today, because we're in the midst of it, is political ideology and political beliefs. Mm-hmm. Now, when anyone stands there and says, this is the way everyone should be, and we're gonna, if we get in power, we're going to force this on everybody, I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> Aren't you just becoming a dictatorship then? Do you not believe in freedom and we the people? Mm-hmm. You only believe in what you want because you think it's better for everyone? But how do you know that? And if there are people saying, no, it's not better for me, then you know you're going to be putting people down and subjugating them. So why are you going there? You're going against the whole premise of how everything was set up. The pursuit of happiness and we the people means everybody. Yeah. It doesn't mean select few. It doesn't mean do mm-hmm. what I want. Mm-hmm. That, if you're going there, then you're, you're not even living up to the standard, ideal standard of what everyone says it is. And it, you have to then look at that and say, okay, then how do you get to that ideal standard? Don't go into that trap of my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. And so many people do. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And that's, again, the belief in scarcity. Yeah, it's lack. You know, and that's that's one of the things with regards to the resources with this whole extraterrestrial phenomenon and the civilizations that we're about ready to be you know engaged with. There's the two systems of thinking. The one that's gaining the most attention these days are other civilizations that want to trade resources with humanity. And here again, the moment I hear that is the moment I, I recognize the fact that even extraterrestrial civilizations that want to trade are still basing their belief system on scarcity. Mm-hmm. That they, they themselves cannot produce everything that they think they need in their life. Right. And that is a fallacy. That is an absolute fallacy with the types of power that we have been given, that we co-creators with God, that we have the ability to manifest anything that we wish to have yes. at, any, at any particular time, and that there is no scarcity of material wealth. There yes. is none. And one of the things that I usually tend to lead people towards believing is the whole concept of scarcity regarding the petroleum industry. Everybody recognizes that there's only so much oil, for instance, that is found on the planet. And so there's this big competition which, with regards to how much oil you can produce and the amount of money that manifests from it and this whole competitive thing with regards to oil. And I say oil as a finite resource, which typically it is not really a finite resource, but we treat it as it will be completely wiped out. Once the advent of the zero-point energy technology and energy from the vacuum or energy from zero-point technologies is is present. Right. The zero-point technologies is an indication that there's no limitations. There's no limit to 
our abilities to manifest what we require. There is. It's our there belief, is. though, that there, there is, is yeah. what's causing the problem. Exactly. Like in the introduction, I said we concentrate wealth and distribute poverty. Yes. And it's mm -hmm. done deliberately. Yes. Right. And that's sort of what I was getting at earlier with the Everyone has freedom of will. Yes, you can buy those three mansions, but you have to recognize that there's repercussions from doing all that. Mm -hmm. Same as the oil industry and the repercussions around getting our mindset around it's the only thing. It isn't as a race, humanity. When we put our minds to something, we are creators, we are co-creators, and we can create anything we wish. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of our listeners are raised in the Christian belief and system. Mm -hmm. And I keep going back to it. You know, Jesus said, tell that mountain to move, hence and it will. You know, ye of little faith. Have a belief in yourself. Have a trust in yourself. Know that you have that power. Even for all you Christians out there who revere Jesus, he said it. And he said, you will do greater things than I. So why are you stuck in exactly. this mantra Love of that. not exactly. being exactly. able to go there? And I would say, most often, it is your hierarchy and your religion that's holding you back. But isn't that what the book says? And if you just listened to that, paid attention to it, you might begin to think around that and move yourself forward. But no, people don't want you to move forward. <laughs> so, no, and that's no, they, their concentration of power from their sense of lack. I know. See, and those are, that whole thing I find also very interesting. The fact that Jesus had said himself that, that you and I were brothers, indicating that we were equal in our abilities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if he could, A, raise people from the dead, walk on water, change uh, water into wine, he did. He, he demonstrated, according to the book, he demonstrated all these fantastic abilities. Yeah. And if everybody else had these fantastic abilities, which we do, yes. then why, Martin, you're right, why are they stuck oh, disbelieving and, this? Yeah, and well, he said we did. So yeah. there's there was a dispute on that. By, your, by their own text, it says we do. So why are we yeah. ignoring it? Why are we ignoring it? <laughs> so the, the one comment I would make to that, and I love that, Martin. Thank you for sharing that with us. The only comment I would make is when I heard you say people don't want to, hmm. I would actually disagree with that. I think people want to. I think it's the how. It's because they are, I think they, they want to, but they get lost in that, what I'm going to term lack of self-sovereignty. Hmm. So they get bucketed into that fear ego, all of those other things that don't make it happen. Yeah. But I think deep down, we all want it. Yeah. But if we let our ego, so we, if we look at our political players, mm. we think that you know, our ego will make it happen. Our taking away other people's power through intimidation will make it happen. And all of those non-truths. But I would just say that in my heart of hearts, I believe that not everyone, but I believe that the majority of people do want it. I think it's the, how do I get there? That we struggle with. I think it's the belief that they even can. Maybe it's the belief. And, and you're right, Martin, that it manifests itself in that they do not. It does, yeah. And it's an illusion. I mean, it's the hierarchy again, the fear I of authority. Also, yes, and I also like what Martin says. They ultimately, if you're always challenging yourself to prevent, you know, to present an A on this and an A on that and an A on this, and you're finding that you simply can't. There's a lot of people that are out there that don't want to open that door for fear of failure. In that sense, yes, I, I believe Martin hit the head, the head on the nail there. For sure, that, yeah. And that people don't want to because it will, ha it will demonstrate to them that 
they're incapable of doing it simply because they believe they cannot be able to do it. Their which belief, comes, their which comes right back to false expectations appearing yes. real, yes. as yes. you always say, Martin. Yes. Or Ron. Yeah. Everyone, well, we always say this. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, fear of power. Mm-hmm. It's the fear of power because if you are considered a failure, then you have no power. In looking at any discipline, if you want to become an architect or an engineer or whatever you want to become, do you think that, oh, yeah, I'm 14, I want to become that, oh, okay, I'm one now, I'll go build your house. Right. Well, until you know about footings, until you know about this and you know about materials and everything else, you probably won't come up with a very good house. So it is a learning curve and it's one step at a time, as with everything. No one knows everything and what they're heading towards right off the bat. And so many times, though, we always look on that as failure. And I'm going, really? And there's some things we look on it as failure and other things we don't. So in the engineering example or the architectural example, you learn how to get there and you learn what works best and you see what works. You know, renewable resources and everything else and how they're building homes. You learn and you progress. But for some reason, we don't do it with our spirituality. It's a great point, Martin, and I think it goes back to some of the (laughs) pre-programming. Why are we so afraid to ask questions? Why are we so afraid? We we often talk about this is a, and Ron, I think this is one of your terms, this is a forever journey. (laughs) And Martin, you make a really awesome point. Why are we as society afraid to say, I need help? I need to learn something new. And why are we afraid? Not to ask for it. Or even do it together. Or do it together. I recognize your expertise in this. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you'll help. People don't actually see the power of being vulnerable. There's a huge power in, and you're right, Ron, there's a huge power in being vulnerable. Because if you're actually comfortable with vulnerability, you will ask those questions that Martin's talking about. That says, hey, I want to learn more because if I learn more, I can help more. You can only learn when you allow yourself to be vulnerable to a situation, which means that at that point you're willing to listen to whatever answer might come up that might be different than what you're thinking. Yes, which is ultimately what empowerment is all about, is the ability to be able to change your perception, change your mind on something, and go in a different direction. That builds to the multiple programs we had on awareness. Yeah. Question. Become aware. Look at what is really going on. And you mentioned it before, Ron, about we have little habits like don't eat fish on Friday and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Authorities tell us and we, oh, well, we have to obey that because they told us. Yes. Really? Talk about a slave race. (laughs) This is where I've often stated that traditions must, must serve the people. Always, always, always. And if a people changes, the traditions must change with the people. It's when people begin to serve a tradition Mm. blindly that that is when it becomes deadly. Yeah. Yeah, it applies to everything. It's certainly heavy in religion, but it's heavy in corporate and it's heavy in government. Just look at families who we've always voted for this party. So what? So if they're not doing something that's good for everyone, you're going to vote for them anyway? Exactly. (laughs) Woulda, shoulda, coulda. Yeah, I know. It's really strange. (laughs) I often find reason and logic and intelligence gets thrown out the window the more you're dogmatic and not wanting to change. Mm -hmm. And that's one of our biggest downfalls in in how we've been trained to behave. Mm -hmm. The more you talk to those types of people, the more erratic they sound. They don't – their arguments fall apart and yet 
they still won't give up. Oh, they get angry and belligerent. Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of cases of that reason recently where people who disagree have been attacked. It'd be interesting, though, to see, is there a way to disengage that process? I think it has to become sometimes with humanity, unfortunately, it has to become so absurd that they can't miss it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, I think it comes back to what we're talking about. If each and every individual takes back their power and owns their power, that is a result. Just to be clear there, taking back your power does not mean that you're following the dogma you've been told. That's not taking back your power. Exactly. That's the exact opposite of it. And you'll also notice that a person who is beginning to empower themselves, taking back their power, you will find an unusual tendency for them not to rely on other people's agreement in order for them to continue to proceed in the direction they're going. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't become important for you to agree with me with, on, on a particular thing because I'm standing so strongly in my power, it doesn't require you to empower me to believe it. Well, there's an old joke I always loved, and it goes back to the Nixon era, and it was after he got voted in and then sort of all the problems occurred, which people saw coming. They said, you know, the line was, yes, 40 million Americans can be wrong. <laughs> they voted for him. <laughs> yeah, well. So it, and it's true. <laughs> they just followed same old, same old. They didn't That's even right. That's right. I'm looking at the politics today, and it certainly hasn't seemed to change much. No, and, and today people are more coming from emotional anger only because they see how much government has become corrupt. Mm-hmm. And yet the choices that they're, they're looking at, I would say, are no better. And how crazy is it? especially with the, with regards to Donald Trump and the Republican Party, where so many were so adamant that they were not going to follow Trump whatsoever. Mm. And they were very explicit mm. with regards to how they actually expressed that. And yet the moment he became the, the front leader, they all changed. Yeah. And it's like, uh, did you just throw all your logic out the window? Yeah, did they have I, any beliefs at all? Yeah. No, what, from themselves? You actually said you thought he was a buffoon, and now you're saying you want a buffoon for the president, and you're willing to stand by that. Yeah, it's, it's being hypocritical at worst. It's like for but, expediency well, for their own power and gain. Exactly, but how many people will actually do that because they believe mm-hmm. that this is the only way for their party right. to be able to survive? Yeah, and that's not a reason. No, um, absolutely. If, if you're voting for Trump because you honestly believe he'll make changes that you think are necessary— and that's fine. But or that he's a wonderful statesman and, you know, whatever. And yeah. But if you've been for the last year rallying against him and hating him because of this, this, and this, and saying he's going to be a horrible person as president, and then to flip-flop just to keep your own power, yeah, no, they have no integrity whatsoever. Integrity is not a word that that is in their lives, obviously. And that is an indication of just what they will do once they are in power. They can't be trusted. They have no principles. No, exactly. They have no integrity, so they'll not no. stick to anything unless it suits no. them. Exactly. And they and that's the ironic situation is people aren't even seeing that. No, I know. Not recognizing the fact that, you know, if here's a politician that's in power is flip-flopping, then what's to say that anybody that's put in power will not flip-flop given the right circumstance and throw everybody else under the bus? Well, they've just shown they would. Exactly. And is that who we want in power? Personally, I would say no, but that's my opinion. There's still a lot to happen, though, between now and November, so. Well, yeah. Well, the thought that comes to my mind when we talk about politics, and I'm I'm not politically driven, as both of you know, 
But the thought that comes to my mind is not whether it's right or wrong that people flip-flop, but what is compelling to make the decisions that they're making. And I think it's part of their journey in whatever way that looks. But what is it that they fear? What is it that they're not facing, perhaps? What is it that we're judging, perhaps, that creates that environment? No, I don't think it's judging. It's more of an observation. If you said that if a prominent politician, congressman, or whatever, said he never supported because of this, this, and this, and then he went to get his, to be the leader of the GOP, then they flip. That shows, to me, it shows lack of integrity. And that's an observation. That's not a judgment. And how do we know they won't flip on something else? Part of it there is there is observation and there's judgment. But if someone, every time they get a gun, shoots someone, why would you hand them a gun if you're the only person in the room? <laughs> I absolutely agree. It's absolutely an observation of the the political party that's running. Mm. I'm, what I was talking about was judging the why of people flip-flopping. It wasn't about, you know, you're right, absolutely correct. I totally agree that when you see something that's actually happening, that is fact, that is fact. But what I don't know is why people are being driven to flip-flop. That's yeah. the part where I don't know. Again, it's the belief that that's the way a political party survives. You, you back the leader 100%. Yeah. Before we go any further, we are, unfortunately, at the end of the program. Again. Oh, my goodness. It went real quick. But we are there. So. <laughs> okay. All right, then. All I can say, everyone, is... You are the power, and the power is within you. It's not about being having power over others. Look at your fears. Look at what authorities have told you, and what, if you honestly look at them, makes sense and doesn't make sense, and take your power back. And beyond that, of course, have an absolutely fabulous week. Yep, have a wonderful week, everyone. Have a fabulous week. Love yourself and love others. Thank you for listening to The Sovereign Self. We will be back with another show that will celebrate the beauty and perseverance of you and your sovereign self. If you would like more information or to send questions to Martin, Karen or Ron, please go to their Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash sovereign self. See you next week.